Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with veteran radio TV anchor, podcast host, and author Joanne Green. She anchored the news and hosted talk shows on San Francisco rock radio for decades, and she has all the stories to go with it. Today, she hosts two podcasts, All the F-Words, a conversation with a fellow writer, 30 years younger on all matters, starting with the letter F and in this story, which features her micro essays set to music. These days, she is promoting her debut book, By Accident, A Memoir of Letting Go. The retirement years have been her busiest yet. She's a modern marvel. Enjoy this interview. Where are you located? Just north of San Francisco. Okay, wonderful. Uh, My favorite station is uh, KCSM, the jazz station out of there in San Mateo. so I worked at K-Jazz in the 1970s. Have you, did you ever hear about K-Jazz? I interviewed Molly Ringwald's dad, Bob, who I believe Bob Ringwald had a long-running show on there for a while. Don't, I know Molly, but I don't know the name Bob. It was uh, So Pat Henry was the guy who owned it forever. Um, okay. It was one of the, you know, this is something that doesn't exist anymore, a commercial radio station owned by one guy. Yeah, and, right just one station. I was in radio. I mean, I was in radio for 25 years in San Francisco all through the seventies and eighties okay. um, and into the nineties and then um, left and then went back and did fill in work as a talk show host at KGO. And um, so, yeah, lots of radio experience. Okay. Excellent. I, yeah, met my, I met my husband working in radio in 1978. <laughs> okay, cool. Excellent. So you're a veteran. Yeah. I remember, oh, yeah. Um, my station, my jazz station or my jazz show, Neon Jazz, is actually on a mom pop station here in Kansas City. So it's owned by one person, you know, and it's it's that singular place. But uh, no, this is yeah, great. It's a rarity now. It is. It, and it's not the kind of station that I would have picked, but I think it's OK. I think sometimes you just got to you got to go with it. You got to do it. So it's good. It's definitely yeah. good. Um, anytime you can get on terrestrial radio in these days is a good thing. So we have that, we have the internet, so it's all good, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've gone in different directions since then doing lots of different things and, um, and I wrote a book, so that's now what I'm doing. Okay. So we're going to get into all of that. So before we do that, first and foremost, thank you so much for taking time out today. You bet. And so we kind of delved into a little bit of your history, but I want to start with the ever present right now. And we all lived through three years of COVID, did quite a thing on all of us. How did you survive it? And how has it changed the way that you do things now? COVID came at a time in my life where I had already been to hell and back. So it was kind of a breather for me. It was an opportunity to be at home. First of all, I quit my job because my job was such that it wasn't going to be able to serve people. I was working at a community center running programs and the center shut down. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to say, this is this is it, goodbye, and focus on the project that I had been starting, uh, which was writing a book. Yeah. So I, I dove into that process. I joined writing groups. Uh, Zoom enabled me to really fly with that project and spend time focused without having to be out, outwardly directed as I had been always. So in some small way, COVID was a little gift to me. Um, and when I say small, I mean small. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> it was also um, incredible. But what I needed to learn how to do, Joe, was slow down. Yeah. 
turn inward. And so it kind of forced me to do that. I was home, but not sick. I was home, but not recovering from an accident. I was home, but nothing was wrong with me. Yeah, when you arm wrestle with Mother Nature, you're not going to win. And I think that's the thing we learned was that air quality got better in big metropolises like L.A. The canals cleared up in Venice. There were so many things that were actually beneficial. And I think there's a level of us now in our PTSD brains that have this buyer's remorse if we say that there was a silver lining. And they're really, I mean, it had a monopoly on us. We had a choice to make. You either going to, you know get mired in the muck or you're going to say, you know what, let's go. Let's go the way we went in 2019. And that's just it. And I've learned throughout my life that saying, all right, let's do this is a mantra that serves me. And COVID was shocking, of course, and unprecedented. And then here in Northern California, where I live, we had the wildfires. The smoke was every bit as bad as what the Northeast is experiencing right now from the wildfires in Canada. And we literally could not go out of the house. So even that one solace, being able to go for a walk and get out in nature, that was uh, taken away as well. So it was, um, you know, there was definitely a lot of uh, claustrophobia and all of that. But I'm lucky enough to have a house and a backyard and, um, you know, relatively stable and happy situation. Not everybody had that. So when you were a kid, what was your dream? What did you want to be when you grew up? An actress. Okay. Well, I mean, broadcasting, my engineer, who's an old-time radio guy, always says that all of the people from vaudeville and theater, they all get into radio, you know, or some level of broadcasting. And then then after radio, what do they do? I I try to, I tell people now, because I had a whole career in radio for decades, that at the time, radio was it. If you were a young person, you listened to one of two radio stations in any market, and that's where you got all your information, all yeah. your music, everything. And, and you know, the Internet has obviously changed all of that. Yeah. And kids growing up today can't even imagine a world where they're listening to the same thing that everybody else is listening to. But I think there's been a reversion back to that idea of really getting into the audio of things. I mean, I you know, COVID really made podcasting a big thing. People are listening more than they ever did before. And I think that, uh, I think there is a future. There is a way like, you know, the newsprint industry just started falling away and it still is. It's really just a a bad perilous situation, but I think there's a resurgence in the idea of people listening to content. I think that's something that's definitely gained a, a new level of foothold in this modern era. It's an intimate medium. Yeah. It's one to one when you're standing on a stage or when you're you know writing an article that's going to be printed and and distributed widely, that is one to many, but podcasts, radio, it's one to one. Yeah. So I got to tell you real quick, the last time I interviewed somebody in in San Francisco, they had a cat and the cat almost knocked the computer over and I noticed your dog came in. Maybe your dog likes my voice. I don't know. I'm sure you've got a beautiful voice. That is not even my dog. That's my friend's dog for whom I'm dog sitting. My dog might make an appearance at some point as well. But I like it. Yeah, this one really likes to be in the limelight. So that's Ruby. That's great. Ruby's doing good work back there. So let's get into, you know, before we get into your book, I want to kind of peel back the layers. Let's go back to your childhood where you were born and raised and how this dream and the seeds of broadcasting and and theater and acting and all of that got into you. 
I was very different than my siblings. First of all, my parents were in their 40s when they had me. They were done. I was an oops baby. And my sister and brother were very linear people, black and white. They were both Scorpios, as was my mom. They were both math majors in college. And I was this imaginative, creative, playful, um, never colored in the lines kind of a kid. And... I would make up stories. I would stage plays in my backyard and raise money for, at that time, it was the Jimmy Fund. It was children's cancer research. I grew up just outside of Boston. And um, I just always had an interest in stories and plays and acting. I was in the Boston Children's Theater Company for a little while as a child. And then um, did all sorts of things in college, but went off I mean, in high school, but then went off to college. I went to Northwestern as a theater major and quickly switched out of that major into radio TV film where I found my home. And it took me a while to actually specialize in radio. First, I got into film uh, history and criticism, writing about film and um, experimented with television for a little bit, but really found my niche in radio. And interestingly enough, Joe, in jazz. So I had a a jazz radio show on my college station and then ultimately uh, moved back to Boston and then moved out to San Francisco where I got a a job in jazz radio. That's that's how I started in 1975. Wow, that's wonderful. So with with your career as a media personality and on-air personality and a journalist, who who did you admire? Who'd you look up to? Who was the fuel for you that was in the industry that you looked up to? Well, the sad thing was there weren't very many women. Right. Um, I was really on uh, the early edge of that. I remember being in a radio production class um, at Northwestern, and I was the only female in the class. Wow. The teacher um, whose name I just popped into my head, John Yoder, wherever you are, John Yoder, I hope you're doing well, wasn't even that much older than me. And he was making these little sort of sexist cracks like one does when they're trying to be buds with guys in the room. And I went up to him after class and I said, not okay. And he said, you know, you're right. You're right. I said, "Um, you're not making this a very inviting place for me. And why would other women want to pursue this? Um, Not okay. So, um, who did I look up to? Um, well, it changed over the years. Um, I was lucky enough when I came out to the Bay Area to um, first get a job at a at a jazz station. And then ultimately, I got a job at KSAN, which was a pioneering FM rock station that was known for many things, but among them, their news. And there was... Um, a news anchor there named Denise Bordet, who whom I greatly admired. I mean, over the years, certainly Susan Stamberg and um, even Barbara Walters, you know, yeah. there just weren't that many women. And um, I tried to help change that. Yeah, well, you certainly did. So what was one of the most memorable interviews you were ever a part of? Oh, my goodness. There were so many. All right. So there were the famous people interviews. Yeah. And then there were the people who were not famous, but really opened my eyes. 
Um, and I'm going to start with that because everybody goes right to the, it was amazing to interview Jane Fonda. I loved interviewing Jackson Brown and Ralph Nader and Brooke Shields and all these people. Brooke Shields was a funny one because she was underage and brought her mother. She had to. And so I brought my mother and it was adorable because it was the two of us and our mothers. And uh, that was a really fun interview. But the one that pops into my head right now is a judge from San Diego who wrote a book about homelessness. And this was before we even had that term homeless. Mm -hmm. um, people who were on the streets were called hobos or vagrants or other sorts of things. And he, he was talking about how important it was to look into people's eyes and acknowledge their humanity. And the issue was not so much whether you gave somebody 10 bucks or five bucks or in those days, maybe a buck. That wasn't as important as meeting a person's eyes and looking at them and acknowledging that they are a human being. And that for me was life-changing. Yeah. And I always remember that interview. Um, so there you go. It wasn't always the uh, the big notables. I mean, gosh, I interviewed Yitzhak Rabim, I remember, um, who was president of Israel at the time. I interviewed John Anderson, who had run for president. Um, yeah. And everybody in the feminist movement, virtually everybody, because I did women's talk shows early on in my career. So Gloria Steinem, Kate Millett, Betty Friedan, you know, every, every one of the big feminist heroes. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember my engineer told me early on when I started doing interviews and I remember I used to call him afterwards, like, you know, when I interviewed Sonny Rollins the first time, which was just like, you know, huge to me yeah i mean and the way he is and who he is the force he is and you know this jazz the upper crust of jazz are like what i refer to as the jazz jedi council they're in cloud city they're looking down on the minions there's a level of intellect and spirituality that courses through their veins that's not of the regular ilk and there's a level of them, the higher up you go, the more humble they are. There's a, there, there's a, there's a humanity and strength in who they are. That's like something you don't understand until you actually get around it. So remember I talked to him about it and I was all into it. And he caught me at one point and he said, you know, Joe, you need to understand something. These people are going to get as much out of you as you are out of them. And I just didn't believe it. And then I started realizing the more I did it, that it, there is a symbiosis that goes into it. And that's not why you do it necessarily, but it is a shared connection, especially with what we're doing with podcasting on this platform, PodMatch. It is in this divided world of ours, such a therapeutic avenue for us to understand each other and to get to a better place because we realize we're actually more alike than we're different, I think. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's fear that breeds hatred. It's the unknown. We're afraid of the unknown. So once we break down barriers and can sit with people mano a mano or face to face, yeah. uh, it's very different. Um, have you ever interviewed Stanley Clark? I haven't. I haven't tried try to sometime. Okay. I, I saw him recently and um, I was really blown away by the things that he would say, the humility and the you know, wanting to give credit to others and all of that. So. Um, so was he a part of Scientology? Because there is no. OK, well, there is a big Scientology church that opened Chick up. Korea was at one time. 
Yeah, but he was supposed to play at this big new Scientology building that was built by downtown Kansas City by a, a jazz club. And it was right before the pandemic raged. And I wanted to see it and I didn't get a chance to. So I think he was coming here and I was going to really try to. But I'm glad you put that bug in my ear because I would love to. That would be great. You know, those. So elders- I'm now on his Wikipedia page just to see if I, if it mentions anything about it. Yeah. Um, he, he did, of course, play with. Chick Korea, but um, yeah, I don't, it, it's not popping up. Okay. But. Okay. So it could have been something they financed to have him come in. Maybe it was like, I, I, I'm not sure, but I do remember that. But the elder statesman, um, it's wondrous. And I would imagine interviewing people like Gloria Steinem and, and others, you realize the humanness of people. Everybody gets into this, you know, thing where they, they, they look at people that are, stars and see them as something different than they are and we're all human you know they get it human oh, well we've really got this crazy celebrity culture now yeah. that didn't so much exist back then and yeah. um you know when you're in this business of interviewing people and talking to people it's it's very clear that people are just people and some people are willing to make themselves vulnerable and talk about what they really feel and what they really think about. And others are on automatic pilot. I'm sure you've interviewed people where they're not even really listening to the questions. They've got a spiel yeah. and they're just doing it. Yeah, for sure. So what what has been the fuel for you for all of these years? There, there's a level I always admire longevity and those that stay in the craft and refine themselves and evolve. What has been that fuel for you? I have an inner motor. Um, we joke about it because some people in the family have it. I have a couple nephews who have it. My kids inherited it too. Um, I just feel the need to keep doing and sometimes to my detriment. So it's a lot of what I write about in my book was really learning to find power and stillness and not always being in motion and not always producing. Um, so I think on the one hand, it has served me really well because I've produced a lot and I love the act of creating and I, there are some things that come naturally to me and other things that I've had to work really hard to develop the craft, specifically in this case, writing a memoir. It's nothing like what I did all those years in radio, nothing like being a journalist, completely different kind of writing. Um, but I love that feeling of challenge and accomplishment. Um, and what else am I going to do? Eat bonbons all day? I mean, I, I actually retired and I joke about it now because I've never been so busy as I am right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have back to back appointments and meetings and interviews and things that I'm doing. And I've, I've got two podcasts that I host and, you know, I'm not making a lot of money. I'll tell you that kind of like yeah. not done, <laughs> but I'm having a great time. Yeah, that's the key. So what did you what did you learn about yourself in the process of writing this memoir that you didn't know about yourself before? New discoveries? It wasn't so much. OK, first of all, that I have an attention span. I didn't think I had one. Right. I thought that I, like everybody else in radio, was, you know, your classic ADD, you know, something new <laughs> all the time, need new stimulus. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here. But in fact, uh, this took years and years and years to do. And wrapping my brain around a project that I I couldn't see the beginning, middle and end of right off the bat was um, really 
something very, very different. So I learned that I can do that. Um, I learned that I could, um, you know, keep working at something and that I wasn't too old to learn an entirely new skill and redefine myself. I mean, I'm turning 70 on my next birthday, Joe. Wonderful. Yeah. So, um, and I'm, and I'm off in new directions all the time. So this is what it looks like in, uh, 23 and, um, you know, there's just writing and doing podcasts is something that you can do at any age you yeah. can do when you still, when you, when you can't walk. Um, yeah. although I, I'm, I'm very mobile. Um, my book by accident, a memoir of letting go is essentially a chronicle of what I learned after I was hit by a car as a pedestrian walking across the street in broad daylight. Wow. So it's, it's more what I learned by what happened to me and then, and then figuring out a way to take my experiences and make them universal so that hopefully someone reading my book or hearing me speak can apply some of those things that hopefully people don't have to get hit by a car in order to get uh, to learn the lessons that I learned. I wouldn't want it to happen to anybody else. For sure. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, colleagues, but you're in control. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Wow. Um, I'm, I'm kind of all about love, to be honest with you, and um, making, um, having connection with others, having meaningful interaction with others, um, brightening people's days, um, I think to some degree, I've always been like that. Um, I love dogs. I love children. I love nature. I, I've been called Pollyanna because I, I'm, I'm often able to find the good in people when others are more interested in looking at the cup as being half empty. Yeah, I see it all as being half full, and that's gotten me through a lot of a lot of loss. I've had a lot of personal loss and injury and illness and all of the above. Um, so I think um, embracing life and choosing life is is really what I'm about. And, you know, trying to balance um, feeling great about my successes with being really humble. That's wonderful. So I think we've given everybody a little taste of who you are and your memoir. And I urge everyone to go out there and get it. Where's the best place to pick it up and to learn anything more about your storied career in broadcasting? Um, well, that might have to be the next book, but there are a few um, segments in my book where I flash back to to some crazy radio stories. Because let me tell you, being in rock and roll radio in the 70s in San Francisco, <laughs> like whatever you can imagine, it happened. Yeah. And then uh, so some of that's in there. But um, where can people get it? Everywhere. Um, it's called By Accident, A Memoir of Letting Go. It's on Amazon. If you get it on Amazon, I would really appreciate you rating and reviewing it there because that ends up being really important. But many of us choose to support our independent local bookstores, and I'm all in favor of that, too. You'll probably have to ask them to order it, but they can because it's got uh, wide distribution. Wonderful. This has been great. I, I really appreciate you opening up. We'll have to do this uh, at some point down the line to dig a little bit further into it. But I wanted to make sure to give everybody a taste of who you are and what you do and to, and to open up that world. So I appreciate your time and, and taking time out. It's been wonderful. 
I'm delighted. Thanks so much for having me on, and uh, I wish you and all of your listeners the best. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.